Hey, people, it's good to see you all tonight. Our staff team is super excited for another semester with you all. Yeah, okay, get it, doc. If you, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Kyle Richter. I'm one of the Veritas co-directors. I'm also a pastor at The Crossing, uh, the church in town that, that Veritas is connected to. Uh, but that's enough about me. We're kicking off uh, a new semester, a new series tonight uh, we're calling Uncomfortable. It's loosely based on a book that some of us are reading. And I want to start tonight, I want to start this semester by asking a question. Here it is. What comes to your mind when you think about God? When you think about God, what comes to mind? Former Christian author, pastor, A.W. Tozer, he once said that, that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What would you say? Studies and surveys and books have shown over the last decade or so in the United States that, that an increasing number of, of young adults, your age demographic in particular, say that what comes to mind when thinking about God are two things. First, God is someone who primarily wants us to be good, nice, and fair to each other. God wants us to be good, nice, and fair to each other. And two, God's goal is to make us happy and feeling good about ourselves. So to summarize, for a lot of people in the United States, and in particular your age group, God wants us to be nice and God wants us to be happy and feel good. In other words, God is Santa Claus right? He's a, he's a cosmic candy machine. He's a, a heavenly genie waiting for us to call upon him so that he can grant our every wish and desire. You see, God exists to make your life comfortable, so the thinking goes. And so he and Joel Osteen, they want to help you live your best life now. Sounds good, doesn't it? Some of you didn't get that joke, that's fine. Is that what you think about when you think about God? Is that who you think about when you think about God? See, maybe, maybe not, but regardless, it's not surprising that it is for so many of us, is it? See, after all, we live in a culture that prides itself on consumerism and convenience and comfort. There's so many ways that we could, that we could talk about that, but, but think, um, think just for a second about advertising, right? I mean, all day, every day, you guys are seeing advertisements that are, that are telling you you need certain products, certain things to make you and finally make you feel unhappy, not unhappy, happy, right? We have holidays solely dedicated to shopping. Companies let us customize everything from, from clothing to playlists to food and drinks. Get this, um, how many ways do you think that Starbucks can make a single cup of coffee? According to the, the uh, USA Today the other day, that I, the article that I read, it's 19,000. 19,000 different ways for you to do you at Starbucks. You see, Google and Amazon, they train us to think, to expect whatever we want, whenever we want, at a moment's notice. Click once and a product's at your door in two days. Type a few words, you've got an endless amount of information at your fingertips. Talk to your phone and it talks back to you. The list goes on. You see, Santa Claus, God, and a, a consumeristic culture driven by comfort, they go hand in hand. Be nice and God will make you happy. Be good and God will make you comfortable. 
But is that how you think about God? See, my guess, my guess from being around a lot of you is that many of you in this room would say, no, that's not what I think about when I think about God, and for, for good reason. But even if that view of God isn't our particular view, I think part of us, if we're honest, we want it to be true. We want it to be true because to a certain extent, we all want to be comfortable, don't we? So you might reject the Santa Claus view of God, and for good reason, but for many, the Christian life, in a lot of ways, has become, we've made it into all about our personal comfort. See, knowingly or not, Christians, we Christians, we're often influenced by the kind of consumeristic thinking that thrives in and through our culture, and because of that, it makes us care far more about comfort than following Jesus. So here's how I see this play out a lot. In my experience working uh, for a church and, and with Veritas over the last 10, 11 years, um, this is how I see this play out. One of the first questions that I often hear people ask when they, when they go to a church or when they go to a new ministry is, is some version of this. Does this place meet my needs? Another way to ask it is, am I comfortable here? And what people are asking when they're asking, am I comfortable here, is does the worship music, is it great? Is it, does it fit my style? Does it have the songs that, that I know and that I like? The worship music has to move me, right? The preaching and teaching, it, it can't be repetitive. It can't be mundane. It has to be new. It has to be exciting, something I haven't heard before. The people the people there, they've got to be cool, they've got to be exciting, they've got to be welcoming. Our experience, it better be good, and heaven forbid someone forgets the coffee. Right? See, see what this kind of, this, this air of consumerism, how it affects us. See, it makes us quick to criticize. It breeds within us this sense of chronic dissatisfaction that becomes toxic in our lives if we're not careful. And so we start to view good things like Christian ministries through the lens of wishing this were that or this was different or that was that way. We want leaders who really understand us. We want leaders who always meet us where we're at. And if we don't get what we want when we want it, well, we go somewhere else, right? Whether that's in person or now we even just go online. I didn't like that, I'm gonna go listen to that dude. I didn't like that, I'm gonna go there. You see the point with that, though? Me, me, me. We buy into this consumer logic, and we often make Christianity about our happiness, our experience, our convenience, our comfort. But here's the deal. Being a Christian, being an active part of a true gospel community. It's not about convenience, it's not about comfort, it's certainly not about coffee. That'd be nice, but it's not. It's, it's about pushing each other forward in holiness. Striving to love Jesus, striving to live for Jesus' kingdom, not some other kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, and striving to do that together as a community of people. Now I know that's hard, that's messy, but that's the point. You see, faithfully following Jesus is going to make you uncomfortable at times. And I'll push a little further here. I think rarely are we uncomfortable enough when it comes to following Jesus. You see, I know that most of us hate the thought. Most of us hate the experience of discomfort. We don't like pain. 
We don't like struggle. We don't like hardship. We don't like difficulty. No, we want ease. We want the, the path of least resistance. We want that comfort. And to be honest, we're not much different than, than God's people in the Bible. See, but as we read the story in Scripture, as we see the story in the Bible, we can't escape the reality that God has a long-standing history of calling men and calling women, people that he loves dearly, into uncomfortable situations. So some examples in the book of Genesis. Take Noah, right? God comes to Noah and he tells Noah, hey, I'm gonna flood the earth because of all the wickedness, because of all the evil and corruption that I see, but Noah, I'm gonna spare you and your family. Why? Because, because they're righteous. God promises to spare them and to do so, he tells Noah to, to build an ark, to build a boat, but it's not a small, dinky little boat, right? It's a boat that would have been close to 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, it's a boat that would have taken Noah years to build. Now, here's an important detail. Noah's building a boat, but he lives in a desert, right? And he doesn't live on the precipice of a, of a desert oasis. No, he just lives in the desert wilderness. And so imagine for a second the conversation that he's having with dudes as, as they walk by him building this boat. What are you doing, Noah? Oh, I'm building a boat, Noah, we live in a desert. Why are you building a boat? Oh, well, God told me he's gonna flood the earth. Oh, slowly walks away, right? That's uncomfortable, yeah? Or think about Abraham. God busts onto the scene in Abraham's life in Genesis 12 out of nowhere. Abraham doesn't know God. He busts out into his life out of nowhere, and he's, what does he say to him? If you know the story, Genesis 12, what is he, the first thing he says to Abraham is go. Go from your country. Leave your family Leave your security, leave your sense of personal identity, leave it all behind for a strange land with a strange people. See, God had a greater purpose for Abraham and his wife's life, but living out that calling wasn't easy. It took sacrifice, it cost them something. Or there's the story of Joseph. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph was his father's favorite son and his brothers, he had many brothers, they didn't like this. And so what do they do? They get together and they say, okay, we're gonna off our brother. They throw him in a pit, leave him to die. Except one of the brothers thinks, well, you know, if we're gonna kill him, we might as well get something out of him. So he decides, hey, let's pull him out of the pit, let's sell him into slavery and at least make some money off the dude. So that's exactly what they do. They pull them out of the pit and they sell them to, into slavery in Egypt. And if you know Joseph's story, you know it takes many uncomfortable twists and turns, but, but you get to the end of Genesis and it has this shocking ending, right? Joseph's standing, he's kind of this uh, random set, not random because God's in control, you know that, but you know, he rises to power under Pharaoh, which seems bizarre, but he does. And his, he hasn't seen his brothers, he hasn't seen his father in a long time because they think he's dead and he's been in Egypt and yada, 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 but he's standing before them now. And what does he do? He forgives them. He says, I forgive you for, for throwing me into that pit. I forgive you for selling me into slavery. And then he says that line, he says, what you guys meant for evil, God in his mysterious providence meant for good. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. And there's Moses and his brother Aaron, right? 
And, and, and you know, these are the, the Israelites that God calls, and he says, hey, I want you to go before the, the most powerful ruler in the known world at, at the time, Pharaoh in Egypt. Why? To demand the release of the Israelites from slavery, right? And Moses and Aaron are like, well, who are we? Like, you want us to, do? Well, yeah, that's what I want you to do, God says. And so they do it with God behind them. Or think about Ruth's loyalty and devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi. See, it would have been far more comfortable for Ruth to, to return to her father's house after her husband died. But she doesn't. She stays with her mother-in-law, helps care for her, helps do things around the house, the estate. And in doing so, she eventually meets a guy and becomes a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Think about King David, right? We know a lot about King David. King David did all sorts of good things, right? But he did a terrible thing to a woman named Bathsheba. And he did a terrible thing to her husband, Uriah. He had him killed. And, and David thinks that he gets away with it. Except God knows. God knows his sin. And so God sends a close friend of David's to him, a guy named Nathan, to point out David's sin with painfully honest clarity. Think about Esther, the young Jewish girl that, that became the queen of Persia. She risked everything, even her own life. Why? To save her people, to save the Jews from being destroyed. Many of you know the story of Daniel, right? God calls Daniel to defy the idolatrous commands of a, of a king, the Babylonian king, while Daniel's in exile, and he does. Except as you can imagine, this doesn't make the king happy, and so what does he do? Throws him into a pit of lions to let them shred him apart. That sounds fun. See, we could keep going in the Old Testament, but let's just jump to the New Testament for fun, right? One day, an angel of the Lord appears to a woman, a young virgin, a, a, a girl named Mary. And he says to her, hey, just thought you should know the Holy Spirit's gonna impregnate you. Huh? Yeah, and, and by the way, that child is God. Now, if that's not uncomfortable, I don't know what is. Right, or then there's Simon and Andrew. Jesus is walking around, fishermen, right? They're, Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee one day, Galilee, and he sees these two dudes, and he says to them what? He says, follow me. Just yells out, follow me. Okay, leave your nets, leave your boats, leave your family, leave your life, leave it all behind, Jesus says, why? Because I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And of course there's Paul. We can't forget about Paul, right? 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that, that five times Paul was given 39 lashes. His body is physically ripped apart from the Jew, by the Jewish authorities. Three times he's beaten with rods. Once he's stoned. Three times he's shipwrecked. He's imprisoned numerous times. He suffers many sleepless nights. He's frequently without food. He's often near death. I doubt during any of that Paul was thinking YOLO. Right? See, I could go on and on and on with stories of people that God is calling into uncomfortable positions, into uncomfortable situations. This isn't what I'm saying, though. My point isn't that. My point is not that following Jesus means your life is going to look exactly like any of those people I just mentioned. Rather, I use those illustrations, I use those examples to help us see that the Santa Claus view of God and the pursuit of personal comfort in the Christian life aren't at all an accurate depiction of who God is or what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. 
See, Jesus doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, follow me and I'll give you a golden ticket to personal comfort. Nowhere in the Bible will you see Jesus say, follow me and I'll give you whatever you want. No, of course Jesus doesn't say that. But he does ask us to do something far more uncomfortable. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 38, whoever, this is Jesus speaking, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. John 12, 25, Jesus again, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, contrary to comfort, Jesus says deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Give yourself in love and service and sacrifice to others. You see, faithfully following Jesus, being a part of the church, God's people, it's going to make us uncomfortable It's going to make us uncomfortable, which sadly is why many of us don't do it. Self-denial instead of self-promotion, picking up my cross instead of having it my way. That's hard, right? I mean, we can acknowledge that. That's hard. But that's exactly the kind of discomfort that Jesus is calling every single one of us in here tonight to embrace. You see, when you read the Bible, you see it use all sorts of action verbs to describe the Christian life. Draw near, persevere, strive, walk, encourage, stand firm, hold fast, obey, work, put to death, labor. You see, the picture of the Christian life that we get in Scripture is that faithfully following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. Fighting the good fight of faith is far more uncomfortable than binging the latest show on Netflix. C.S. Lewis, he's an author most of you are familiar with, he said this once. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You see, if you're primarily following comfort in your life, you aren't really following Jesus. If you're primarily following comfort in your life, you aren't really following Jesus. Is that you? If you're honest with yourself, is that you right now? See, I I know that's a really hard question. I've been wrestling with that myself. It's a hard question. But I think it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. We have to answer. See, when following comfort trumps following Jesus, it's time for us to re-examine what it is that we're worshiping. How do we do that, though? How How do we know if we're following comfort more than we're following Jesus. Well, here, here, here are a few things, a few signs that that might be the case in your life. The first is this. People around you are surprised to find out that you're a Christian. 
What I mean by that is that nothing in your life sets you apart as someone who follows Jesus. Your life blends in with, it looks the same as everyone else around you to the point that people who know you don't even know what you believe. They don't see, they don't hear a real difference. You know what's really interesting about the early church? In the, in the first few centuries, Christian churches, they, they were actually hard to enter, to be a part of, but that was a key, oddly enough, to their growth. See, they didn't grow because of their cultural assimilation. They grew because they had a commitment to an unpopular God who equipped them to live in a way that was richly unconventional to those around them. See, there was something attractively different about their lives. Is that you? Is there something different about your life with respect to Jesus? Second thing, sign that it might be the case you're following comfort and not Jesus. You're apathetic to your sin. In other words, your sin doesn't bother you. See, here's the deal. If your Christian faith rarely confronts your idols, rarely challenges your sinful habits, rarely convicts you for the choices that you're making, then you're probably following comfort and not following Jesus. See, a long obedience in the same direction is going to relentlessly mold and refine you into the likeness of Christ. It's a beautiful thing, but it's often uncomfortable. It's a beautiful thing but it's often uncomfortable. Third thing, you're afraid to hold others accountable for their sin. See, I I get it. I know that it's uncomfortable for us to say hard things to other people when we see sin in their lives. Most of us would rather not rock the boat. We stay out of it. We wanna keep the peace. We don't wanna wade into the mess. But according to the Bible, if we don't say something gently, Right, some of us, that's our problem. We don't say it gently, we say it harshly. And the Bible says that we aren't really loving people well. See, if sin is as serious as God says it is, then our faith needs to have the capacity to speak hard truths and love to people in our lives. Do you do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to let other people do that for you? Fourth thing, last thing, sign that you might be following comfort and not Jesus. You're coasting and not actively growing. And what I mean by that is, is your life is just kind of going through the motions. You come to Veritas, you go to a small group, maybe you go to church because your friends are there, because someone has told you it's the right thing to do, or maybe you have pressure from your parents. But you don't really have a desire to learn. You don't really have a desire to grow. You don't really have a desire to change anything about the way that you're living. Maybe coasting looks like you don't really read your Bible. You spend little time in prayer. Maybe you busy yourself with so much stuff in your daily, weekly, monthly schedule, classes and groups and things on campus and in the community that you don't even have time for Jesus if you wanted to spend time with Jesus. Maybe some of you put Jesus in a little cute box and you, you put him up on that shelf and you don't go to Jesus unless there's something that you really need from him. See, coasting is easy. It's growing that's hard. 
It's growing that's hard. You, you, you think about it like this. You, you can't just show up. Maybe you've run a marathon. I don't know. But you can't just show up to a marathon and run it, right? You can't just show up without training and expect to finish the race. Of course not. At some point, unless you're a freak, you're going to quit. Freak of nature, not like a weirdo freak, right? You're the most physically fit human being in all of existence, right? If you don't train to run a marathon, it's going to be too uncomfortable. It's going to be too difficult. You're going to give up. And even if you do train, running 26.2 miles is hard. It's going to require, un- uh, 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 it's going to require commitment in the midst of discomfort. See, growth happens in our lives when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zones. That's why Jesus is calling every one of us here tonight to embrace rather than avoid, which is what we want to do. He's calling us to embrace rather than avoid the uncomfortable aspects of following him, to embrace the uncomfortable aspects, the awkward parts, the frustrating parts of being a part of the people of God. It's frustrating sometimes being a part of a big group of people, isn't it? Particularly messy people, which we all are. Where is Jesus calling you to lean into that discomfort? Where is he calling you to lean into that discomfort? Is he asking you to choose him instead of the opinion of your friends? Is he asking you to, to deny yourself and stop watching porn, stop drinking too much? Is he calling you to pick up your Bible and spend time in his word? Maybe Jesus is asking you to confess that sin you've been hiding to someone you trust, to bring the shame that you're feeling into the light. That's hard. Maybe he's asking you to finally commit to joining a small group and and going regularly. Maybe Jesus is asking you to stop living a duplicitous life. Maybe he's asking you to invite that friend that you've been apprehensive about inviting because you aren't quite sure, you're a little bit uncomfortable, you're kind of scared, you're anxious about what they'll say to you when you do. Maybe Jesus is calling you to spend time with someone that doesn't look like you or have the same interests as you. Maybe Jesus is asking you to lean into discomfort and, and to stop being so critical and instead have more humility. Maybe leaning into that discomfort of following Jesus means ending that toxic relationship in your life for good instead of continuing to go back and back to it. Maybe it means taking an internship or a job that other people don't think is cool, but it's for the sake of the gospel somewhere. So I don't know what it is for you. I, I, I don't know what it means specifically for you to lean in to that discomfort. But I, knew, I do know this. Jesus is calling every single one of us away from comfort and toward him. And so we all have to ask ourselves, myself included, what do we want more in life? Do we want comfort or do we want Jesus? See, I've met far too many college students in the last 11 years that peace out on Jesus because he's not Santa Claus. I know that sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds silly, but it's true. They peace out on Jesus because he doesn't give them what they want whenever they want it. See, I know that some of you right now don't like what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying is hard. 
But I want you to hear, hear this. The life of faith and obedience to Jesus, it's not a comfortable life. It's costly. It's costly to follow Jesus. Following Jesus faithfully is going to require you to deny yourself at times. It's going to require you to take up your cross. It's going to require you to at times be subject to persecution. People are going to make fun of you for what you believe. You believe that? Are you kidding me? Faithfully following Jesus means sometimes giving up the comforts of home. It means giving up the priority of family over God. It means being willing to give up material possessions. Embracing the messiness, the messiness of community. Bearing with each other, bearing one another's burdens, loving each other sacrificial, striving for unity. Not arguing, bickering, commenting. Striving for unity with other believers. See, of course following Jesus costs us something. Of course it costs us something, but we can't forget this. We can't forget that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. See, Jesus asks us to embrace hard things, to accept uncomfortable truths, to do life with uncomfortable people because Jesus is the one who did the most uncomfortable thing himself. He embraced the life of, of suffering. He embraced the life of sacrifice for you and for me, people who don't deserve that. Philippians 2, it teaches us that, that Jesus, it says this, Jesus, though being God, Though being God, he makes himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a Roman cross. You see, Jesus lived an uncomfortable life. Jesus died an uncomfortable death so that you and I could rest comfortably with him one day for all eternity if we put our faith in him. If we put our faith in him. As the music team comes up, I, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're coming off of a tough Christmas break. You slipped back into some habits. You slipped back into some patterns that, that frankly you thought you were over. Maybe you did some things because you were away from your Christian community that, that you know nobody would see. Maybe you're just now starting to realize that you've been coasting far longer than you realize. Maybe you just started the race of your life. Maybe you've been running for a long time now, wherever you're at. What is this semester gonna look like for you? What do you want this semester? What do you want 2019 with respect to Jesus to look like for you? Where is God calling you to lean into the discomfort of following him? See, we here at Veritas, we wanna help you do that. We wanna help you do that. But I'll be the first to admit, Veritas is not a perfect ministry. See, if you're new, I'm so glad you're here, but you're soon going to realize this is not a perfect ministry. If you've been around a while, you're like, amen, I knew that. See, we're a group of messy people, right? 
We make mistakes. We live in perfect lives. We have real doubts, real struggles, legitimate doubts, legitimate struggles. This community, this ministry, we're far from ideal, but I can assure you this. Veritas is a ministry committed to the costly pursuit of Jesus because we think, we believe that the cost of following Jesus is worth it. That it's worth it. See, Jesus doesn't call us into situations that cause us discomfort because he's trying to, to enjoy making our lives hard. No, Jesus calls us into an uncomfortable obedience in the same direction because he wants us to experience his power, his comfort, his joy in our lives. Don't you want that? Don't you want Jesus' power? Don't you want his comfort? Don't you want Jesus' joy in your life? That's what Jesus wants for you. So how about we be a community of people here at Mizzou committed to faithfully following Jesus, even when, not if, even when it's uncomfortable. Amen.